Well, and welcome to the Week 6 Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show, where we'll be looking at some of the coaching decisions and games from Week 5. I'm Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst at Football Outsiders. Joining me as he does every week is Vince Verhey, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about some of the coaching decisions from the past week. Before we do, just want to remind you all about the special we have with Underdog Fantasy. You can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. That's even with NFL best ball season over. They do have some other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the action. They've got a battle royale, which is a six-round best ball style draft. Gives you a little bit easier chance or simpler chances to win than with traditional daily fantasy sites. Or you can try their pick-em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. Basically, prop betting, and it's available even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, so join us and join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. That's a free $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. So jumping right along into things here, the big story has been covered a lot this week, but for us, Matt Rule fired out in Carolina. Um, The big question, or not really a big question, but a big question is who's next? Uh, but what did you think about this firing? I'm sure you were not surprised that it happened. Maybe surprised it happened this soon. Maybe not. The, the timing was very weird. Uh, after last season would have made sense. After this season would have made sense. Um, I'm not sure what the point of firing him after five weeks is, other than, you know, I guess there's something to be said for acknowledging uh, a defeat and a mistake you've made and 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 uh, cutting costs or, or that's the word um, um a sunken cost and acknowledging a sunken cost and uh moving on to the next regime but it's been a bad tenure it was getting worse uh they could have traded for baker mayfield right away given him an entire off season to prepare instead they didn't trade for him until july and then with precious time ticking away instead of sticking him as the starter when it was plain on the surface, that Baker Mayfield's a better option than Sam Darnold. They've had a charade of a quarterback competition. It's been five weeks of this now. They still look like they're in preseason mode, and they're not alone in that front, as we'll get to here shortly. But um, it, it, it was it was a disaster on, on every level, and uh, it was inevitable. So I guess why delay this? But uh, the timing is strange, and um, it's done now. I don't know. Yeah, like why delay it? Because you know – uh, after more and more losses, which are going to come, the media is going to, you know, people, it's going to be a talking point. People are going to be coming for it. Get ahead of it. Maybe send a message to the team like, hey, it's not working. Uh, let's try something else. Steve Wilkes, I believe it is, has taken over. Uh, surprisingly, uh, was maybe not surprisingly against in that, but was let go after one season in Arizona uh, mm-hmm. years back. Is, you know, it, 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 he's taken over now. Now, Matt Rule came in, was 25th in our coach rankings in 2021, just 12th in CCI, which is the fourth round, uh, fourth down decision-making metric, 30th in 2020. So we got a little bit better up until last year, uh, went from dead last in fourth down decision-making to 12th. He was 11th after week five this year. Obviously, there's more to coaching the fourth down decision-making, and a whole lot else was wrong, as we know. Um, lots of talk now maybe about some of those pieces just being being traded off, things getting blown up. At least in the fantasy world, Christian McCaffrey, uh, there have been rumors the Bills have inquired multiple times, maybe the Rams. But I mentioned Steve Wilkes taking over now. What What is the rest of, or what's left of the, the team after Matt Rule? He was left gone after one year. Who is next to be fired, and is it a coach who's also in his first year? Maybe Nathaniel Hackett? What do you think? So we covered this. Uh, I covered this with Aaron Schatz and Brian Knowles on the uh, FO Data show earlier this week. But it, it's funny enough to bear repeating. The 
Betting odds on the next NFL coach to lose his job. The favorites, Nathaniel Hackett, which is not a surprise. But he's at minus 190. <laughs> that is ridiculous. He's more, he's literally the odds on favorite to be fired next. It, 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 things are, have gone so badly in his first five games with the Broncos. Um, other candidates at Frank Reich at plus 500, Cliff Kingsbury at plus 650. Ron Rivera plus nine fifty, Dan Campbell at plus twelve hundred, and uh, we, we talked about this on the on the uh, Tuesday show, so I won't go into a lot of detail. I think the best bet at these odds is Ron Rivera. Um, it's not going well in Washington; it's getting worse, and it, it, he doesn't have the big extension that Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury just signed. He doesn't have the track record of success in prior years that Frank Reich does. I, if I was going to make a bet here, and the, and the odds on Nathaniel Hackett are funny, but that's a terrible bet to make it. That those yeah. odds. Um, so yeah, I, I would take Ron Rivera plus nine fifty. I'm sorry if I was going to bet on the next coach to lose his job, which is kind of a ghoulish thing to be betting on, but it's pro sports and uh, they're 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 compensated and they'll and they'll be fine. Yeah, Mike and I covered on Monday on the recap show this week too, talking. Someone made a comment about, hey, would Rivera maybe be kept around because of the shit show, for lack of a better word, that the Washington franchise is, and then wanting to just keep that professional presence there when you've got an owner like Dan Snyder and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think they'll keep them, keep them around, keep a coach around just to look good uh, with you. I think that'd be a good bet uh, with those guys. And then looking at, we were talking beforehand, the odds that I saw uh, yesterday to be the next Carolina Panthers coach was Sean Payton. <laughs> I don't know if you want to make a couple comments. I know there's been a lot of talk about or kind of a, a, a community uh, understanding of, him being the next head coach in Dallas whenever Mike McCarthy's gone. But I, I don't know if I can see him going to Carolina. How about you? Uh, the Panthers don't have a lot of draft picks to trade. Um, they made trades against Sam Darnold. They made trades against Stephon Gilmore, who was with the Panthers once. He, it's easy to forget, but he was with them for half a season. Um, they, they traded, well, for a song for Baker Mayfield. But, uh, they don't have a lot of draft capital, and they're in this. And the Saints still own Sean Payton's rights. He can't just sign wherever he wants. So they would need the Panthers would need to make a trade offer to the Saints better than what anyone else would make and better by a wide degree because the Saints don't want to trade their former coach to a team in the same division. I don't get these odds. It's a terrible bet. It doesn't make any sense. I think he'll be uh, the Dallas Cowboys coach probably sooner rather than later, even though the Cowboys have overachieved so far. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that's that's inevitable. I don't think that's a smart bet in any way. Um, and, I, and I won't pretend, by the way, to know a lot about uh, these other candidates and what uh, David Tepper's looking for, the Panthers owner as a coach. This is a bet I would just avoid. Uh, there's, there's no, uh, not a lot to go on. You're, you're, you're kind of throwing your money blindly at a bet like this. Yeah, as, as good as, as odds typically are in Vegas is to these things, uh, when it comes to coach uh, like things like this sometimes, uh, not the best. and, and and maybe maybe these people know something we don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. It would be very surprised and shocked to see that happen. But moving on to some better news, like you said, a little ghoulish to be betting on these things. People get fired. A little bit more exciting is Raiders-Chiefs, the big game from this past week. It was the last game. Now, the Raiders got up big early. The Chiefs did their usual Chief things and came back to win. Was it more what the Chiefs did in that and just it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Andy Reid, it's all those guys, or – did you see some things from the Raiders that allowed the Chiefs to come back where they maybe took, maybe took their foot off the pedal a little bit? I think it's just Kansas City's being Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes is being Patrick Mahomes. They had the graphic up. He's 
I think he's the only quarterback on record with a winning record when down by two, down by 10 points or more, I believe the stat was. Um, can't say that about Tom Brady. Can't say that about Peyton Manning. Can't say that about Russell Wilson or any of these other great quarterbacks known for coming back in games. Um, and, of course, when they won the Super Bowl, they were down by 10 points in all three of the playoff wins. So it's just what they do. Um, and, and, and the other thing is, frankly, Las Vegas is not very good. Um, yeah. their, their pass rush is weak. Their coverage is weaker. They have big problems in the offensive line. Um, this is just a – and they're not as bad as their one and four record. That's a product of some bad luck in close games and a tough schedule, but they're, they're not good. And uh, what we saw here was a good team beat a bad team. And uh, if anything, we should be crediting Las Vegas for making it as close as they did. Yeah, it ended up being uh, a really good game there. There was uh, – the turning point for me, though, I thought in this one uh, that allowed the comeback or kind of sparked the comeback is what we saw – uh, the Chiefs against the Texans that same year that you're talking about, they won the Super Bowl where they made that big comeback. It was a fourth and short field goal where the Raiders had fourth and one from the Kansas City 34. Then they switched out, sent their field goal team out real quick, decided to kick. It wasn't a huge error in terms of win probability, but it's a 2.9% error, so nothing massive. But early in the game, uh, at least in the first half, it's a significant amount. And uh, Troy Aikman on the broadcast said, make it a three-score game. And I was thinking the same thing. Aaron, uh, Aaron Schatz tweeted this as well. It was only the second quarter. There's not like 10 minutes left in the game. A three-score game in the second quarter isn't as big as a three-score game, 10 minutes left in the game. Uh, what did you think about that decision by McDaniels to switch up and send the field goal unit out? We've just talked about uh, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes' record and comebacks and whatnot. And listen, a three-score game against Kansas City in the second quarter you need to think of that like we're tied with Kansas City in the second quarter because he's going to get more points. It's inevitable. There's nothing we can do. we got to try to match it. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they played a little uh, timid. I think timid's a good word there on that decision. And uh, you can't play timid against Kansas City. They'll, 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 they're going to score points. Uh, and, and if you uh, try to beat them with field goals, that's not going to work very often. Yeah, and he switched it up and wasn't timid later in the game. When he decided to go for two down one, it was an odd decision to me. 427 left in the game. The numbers are basically even on this one, uh, whether to go for two or not. I didn't like the decision with that much time left in the game. What did you make of that? I don't get it at all, honestly. Um, if, it, if there was five seconds to go, uh, I would say, hey, let, let's go ahead and just try to win now and not deal with overtime or not deal with giving Patrick Mahomes the ball back. Um, so that, that would make sense to me. But there's 427 left. And that's plenty of time where even if you get the two-pointer, now you're forcing the Chiefs to play aggressive to, to get at least a field goal to beat you. There's still four and a half minutes left. They got plenty of time. Um, you're, you know, they'll, they'll, they're, you're forcing them into four-down football maybe if they're on their side of the field. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And then um, if you don't get it, as we saw, well, now what on earth makes you think you can get a stop and get the ball back with any time left? And, and, I, and they didn't, really. So um, it's very strange. It was strange in a vacuum, and given this matchup, especially with Kansas City's offense against the Las Vegas defense, I don't get it one bit. Yeah, you mentioned making them be more aggressive and probably even more aggressive than they would normally be uh, being the Chiefs because they didn't have Harrison Butker. Uh, Matthew Wright, I think it was, already missed a field goal. Too, yeah. So they're probably not going to – they might – They'll, they'll settle for a field goal if they have to, uh, but probably going to say, hey, let's try and get a touchdown or get as close to the end zone as we possibly can. So that that was, again, some questionable decisions there. Really had every chance to win that game, up 17 points. 
did have some good fourth down decisions. We saw the touchdown on the first one. But overall, uh, the Chiefs, like we said, did did what they do, came back and won that one. Now, moving on to another team, there's been a lot of talk about the Cleveland Browns. So all the talk coming into the year was, what are they going to do on offense without Deshaun Watson? This defense, the running game, uh, is going to be big and uh, a big factor in them and what their record is when Watson comes back. They were 11th in defensive DVOA last year, 7th against the pass, only 23rd against the rush. They were 5th overall through five weeks. Um, different schedule, obviously, different teams. But so far this year, they're 30th overall, 16th against the pass, and dead last against the rush. Now, there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Got a lot of young talent on the team in general. But there, I've seen a lot of people, Browns fans specifically, uh, calling for Joe Woods' job over on the defensive side of the ball. Is it all his struggles that you've seen or his strategy causing struggles? Or are, they do, are they doing things wrong like we've seen teams uh, have bad strategy because Mahomes and blitz him and it backfires? Is it that type of thing or is it more on just the players and the team just not executing well enough? I'm going to, uh, if you'll bear with me here, I'm going to read from the Cleveland Browns chapter of Football Outsiders 2022, written by the uh, excellent Rivers McCown here. Uh, in the main body of the chapter, he notes their major defense, uh, the, the, the chapter, of course, is mostly devoted to Deshaun Watson and the uh, morality of all that. But in addressing the actual team on the field, he adds in the main, in the main section, their major issue is going to be stopping the run, as they have only finished above 20th and run DVOA once in the last three seasons. Later in the chapter, he gets to the unit comments and is addressing the defensive front, and he gets to the uh, defensive tackle section. Cleveland added former Jaguars first-round pick Taven Bryan in free agency, but Bryan has been a sporadic producer at best. Cleveland lacks anybody who could be considered a true nose tackle, preferring speed over size. Fourth-rounder Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma has the power to functionally act as one at some point, but expectations should probably, probably be low for him in his rookie season. Uh, he goes on for a while to discuss how, despite all the draft picks Cleveland has used at linebacker, uh, it's, it's Jacob Phillips, a free agent signing, who was their top linebacker going into the year. And as a product of, product of this team with no defensive tackles and probably overrated linebackers, being honest, let's look at what has happened. Uh, rushing yards allowed by a game this season. They go 54 against Carolina in week one, then 93 against the Jets in week two. 104 against Pittsburgh, 202 against Atlanta, and now 238 against the Chargers on Sunday. So it's getting it's bad and getting worse by the game. After the game, they traded for Atlanta linebacker Deion Jones. Now, mid-season veteran trades in the NFL are very rare anyway, but I can't remember a team making a trade to acquire a veteran like three hours after they had just played a game. <laughs> They, they've lost that game to the Chargers, and they said, this roster will not do. And so they traded for a linebacker who, by the way, has not played this year because of a shoulder injury. Now, he's expected, I believe, to play this week or, or very soon anyway, um, but he'll probably be an upgrade. But uh, you can see why they're so desperate. They've given up 57 first downs on the ground. That is most in the league. Uh, their run defense DVOA of 20.5%. 20 That's not just the worst this year. That would be the worst football outsiders has ever measured going back to 1981, wow. uh, breaking the mark of 18.9% set by Washington in 1996. So that's 25 years ago. It's been 25 years since we've seen run defense as bad as Cleveland has been this first third of the season or whatever. Uh, adjusted line yards, 5.32. That would also be the worst ever, uh, breaking the mark of the 2018 Chiefs. And uh, 
in short, adjusted line yards gives a bonus to tackles in the backfield, and it chops off yards gained after 10 yards. So it's an ability of an offense's – it's a measure of an offense's ability to gain consistent yardage and a defense's ability to prevent consistent yardage. And we've never seen a defense as bad as Cleveland through five games. Now, that being said, they're also next to last in second-level yards, which is basically how many times you get 10 yards or more, or uh, up to 10 yards. Uh, next to last in open field yards, which is yards gained after 10 yards. So they suck at everything. It's a huge problem. It's a disaster. It, 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 it's literally unprecedented to see a run defense this bad in so many different ways. Uh, per, pro, per, per pro football reference, 13 broken tackles on running plays. Only three defenses have more. 2.4 yards allowed after contact on running plays. Only two defenses have more. So it's been a horror show. Um, the, the top tacklers on the team are Grant Delpin and John Johnson. Those are safeties. That's it's not, not good. good. <laughs> it's not good when both of your top tacklers are safeties. Wow. And then uh, then Jacob Phillips and uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromar or Kor- <laughs> Joker. Let's call him Joker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then the three players after, they're all cornerbacks. Uh, their top defensive tackles are Taven Bryan and Jordan Elliott. And, you know, tackles made for defensive tackles isn't always a good stat because sometimes they're soaking up double teams and, and clear spatial linebackers. But that clearly isn't happening in Cleveland. And these two starting defensive tackles through five games have made 14 total tackles combined. Wow. They're invisible. Amy is only playing you and me a defensive tackle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I, it, I, I think it's a uh, – I don't know how much this you put on the coaching. I think this is more talent acquisition, talent evaluation uh, issue. And uh, you haven't had a lot of injuries. We're going to talk about some teams here in a minute that, minute that have had some injuries. But this was, for the most part, Cleveland's plan, and it has not gone well. Yeah, and overall, you mentioned, you know, we're not sure. Uh, don't, there may not be a whole lot of coaching. Kevin Stefanski in our coach rankings, uh, at least in the, the fourth down decision-making, is doing well on offense of setting the, the offense up the best chance to win, but defense, like you said, the defense is just really letting them down. That run defense is not good. And we're going to switch to another team whose defense hasn't been very good either. We're just going to just absolutely crush on my two favorite teams this game, or the, the show I think is what we're doing. Uh, Green Bay defensive uh, struggles as well. Now, we weren't as high on the Green Bay defense as many were. Uh, still expected better, I think, than what we've seen. Only 23rd overall, 30th against the run. Just a couple spots better than Cleveland. 11th against the pass. But they've really struggled against deep passes. They're only 29th in DVOA against deep passes. Now, I've seen a lot of fans, you know, being a Packers fan, kind of being in and, and try and watching the games and seeing Packers Twitter and things like that. A lot of people are calling for more man versus zone to allow Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes, two of those great quarterbacks, um, to showcase you know their talent, what they can do, and kind of free up uh, free up the other guys. If it was that simple. You'd think they'd try it. Uh, so, what have you seen? From the Packers defense, is it just a couple little fixes you think that can that can help them out again? They're still 11th against the pass. For them, it may be all in the run defense as well. But the way they looked in that second half against the Giants was very concerning. Yeah, uh, there's no question they're playing a lot of zone. Uh, average, depth, average depth of target against Green Bay is 5.9 yards. That's lowest in the league. Uh, that's what zone defenses do is they make it those short. Uh, their leader in targets is Devondre Campbell. He's, got, he's been targeted 32 times in coverage. And it's not close. That's 10 more than anyone else. So they're dropping everyone deep and, and letting the team throw short. And it, it, it's really, really weird to see a linebacker as the top target in, in, in pass coverage. It's always a cornerback for safety. Um, now, here's the problem. Tyler Alexander is still playing very well. But when they do play man coverage, their other cornerbacks are all getting toasted. 
Uh, Razul Douglas, Eric Stokes, and Keyshawn Nixon all have passer ratings allowed over 100. Uh, that's real bad, especially when you consider, you know, the other thing about zone defense, these guys are not often left one-on-one. They yeah. usually have help somewhere. Uh, Eric Stokes, in particular, has been terrible this year. Uh, when targeted, 15 targets, 13 completions, 175 yards, and a touchdown. So if you start playing more man coverage, all you're going to do is expose these guys more, and probably the problems against deep balls are only going to get worse. Um, Stokes so, had a really good rookie year, so that's a little surprising. I know we didn't expect him to be you know, a Jair Alexander coming into it and from the Almanac, but expected a little bit closer to last year's production, I would imagine. Yeah, and uh, it is five games. You know, 15 targets is a, is a small sample size because they're protecting him so much with all this zone coverage. Um, but the evidence we have here is that switching to more man coverage may it may get get a few more big plays, but you're going to get even more problems against the deep passes. Zone defense is designed primarily to prevent deep passes. Um, so if that's if that's not working, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but um, they, they got problems. They, they are 32nd in DVOA against number ones. I'm sure a lot of that is just the Justin Jefferson game. You know, there's zone coverage and there's blown coverage. And uh, I think Green Bay had way too many of the latter. Um, and that, that, that's more of a coaching issue and less of a talent issue. But, um, yeah, the, 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 we're, we're, we're five games in now. I, I don't think we're going to see a huge improvement from Green Bay over this year. Uh, and it is worth pointing out, you, you, you said this, but the, the run defense has been a bigger issue than the pass defense. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more giving up a lot of short runs than the heartbreaking big play against the pass. But, um, you know, there's, there's still three and two with a very close loss. Um, the, the, the ship is not sinking. We don't need to uh, uh, panic or anything, but it, it, it's time to kind of recognize this team for what it is and maybe a team not as strong, certainly as the general public thought, but maybe not even as strong as we thought they were going to be coming into the year. Yeah, it's still yeah in that NFC North where they still have a chance to win only a game back of Minnesota, a game ahead of Chicago who's been has a better record than what they are. Uh, so really a lot of room. And, and one thing that I kind of am hoping for, and this was part of my prediction and our staff predictions, was that uh, the team kind of like in, in Brady's first year, they had that late bye week. Maybe they the offense gets it together and just the whole team kind of comes together late in the year. But right now, you know, if the defense doesn't get better, that's not going to happen. So. Uh, going to be interesting to see again we're five weeks in that's that's a, a good amount of games to kind of to see what you've got in that team uh, switching over to the offensive side of the ball that we've ca- talked about the the struggles for a couple teams on defense but the Rams offense outside of Cooper Cup is really struggling 26th overall 25th in both passing and rushing are there some tweaks there that Sean McVay and uh, that Liam Cohen can make or is it deeper than that? We know the big talk is about Allen Robinson and the, the the trouble getting him the ball or not even looking his way. But are there other things that they can do to fix this? Because they were very good last year, obviously. They won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I wrote the Rams chapter in Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, and I tried to address, like, the question marks of the offense coming into the year. Coming into the year. Uh, how will they do without Andrew Whitworth? Uh, can Cam Akers play more like he did as a rookie and less like he did in the playoffs when he was terrible? Uh uh, is Allen Robinson washed up? Uh, and do they have any depth to survive any injuries uh, that might strike them? And the, usually when you ask questions like this about a team, you find out half of them work out and half of them don't. That's just the obvious odds. That's, and that's true for most teams in most seasons. The answer for the Rams has been a huge, giant screaming thumbs down to every single one of them. Like everything that you might have predicted might have gone wrong has gone wrong. 
the offensive line, I think it all starts there. Um, Sean McVay's coaching, his, his biggest attribute as a coach is keeping his same five linemen on the field all year long. Uh, we do our offensive line continuity scores, and I think he's ranked fourth. He's ranked first something like four times as, as, a, as a coach. Uh, the, the Rams are very good at keeping their linemen healthy. That hasn't happened. Uh, last year, all five starters played at least 80% of snaps. This year, only two have. It's the tackles, Joseph Notaboom and Rob Havenstein. There's six other players who have played at least 20% of the time. So they got guys getting hurt, coming out, moving left, moving right, shifting position. It's, it's a huge mess. Uh, Brian Allen's the center, hasn't played since week one after a knee procedure. Uh, they, they say he might play this week against Carolina, but it's Carolina. They'll be fine. Um, and then the okay. bye week is next week, so it's more likely let's give him an extra two weeks to rest. Uh, David Edwards has been out since left week four with concussions, hasn't returned yet. Colin Shelton has a high ankle sprain in week four. He'll probably be out for another month or so. So the interior of this line is a mess with, with, with backups playing everywhere. And we should also note, by the way, uh, Joseph Notaboom, the plan was that he would replace Andrew Whitworth, and he has, but he's it's clearly a step down. So they're worse at four of the five offensive line positions this year than they were last year. Um, that's the biggest issue, honestly, to me. But there's more. Uh, Cam Akers, as noted, looks as bad as he did in the playoffs. Allen Robinson looks like beyond washed. He's tied for fourth on this team with 12 catches. The player he's tied with is Daryl Henderson, who's a part-time running back. He's not even a starter. Uh, Robinson's got a catch rate barely at 50%, less than nine yards per catch. Matthew Stafford's passer rating on throws to uh, Allen Robinson is 61.3. To put that in perspective, Baker Mayfield is last in the league in passer rating at 71.9. And passer rating is usually higher to wide receivers. So uh, that experiment has gone up in flames. Van Jefferson has not practiced since August after a knee injury. So they have uh, problems everywhere. And the biggest problem is, and we can talk about some of this on defense too, but this is a team that had lots of talent drain after winning the Super Bowl. And uh, they've now suffered a lot of injuries. And there is zero depth in this roster because this is what an NFL roster looks like when you do F them picks for five straight years. When you trade all your picks away, your depth stinks. And uh, they were uh, fortunate that uh, they didn't suffer major injuries in the Super Bowl year. Like most Super Bowl champions, they're fortunate that way. But they are not as fortunate this year, and the the injuries have hit them hard, and they're not prepared to deal with them. Yeah, they did get that Super Bowl too, so maybe it makes it all worth it for a lot of yeah. fans. But at the same time, you want to still be you win the Super Bowl, you want to remain competitive, and and they're just not looking like they've got it together. But uh, a lot of time, hopefully, get some guys back from injury, like you mentioned, in a few weeks. Hopefully, it's not too late. You know, that yeah. NFC West out there with the Cardinals not looking great, 49ers, decent Seahawks, been surprising, but a very still winnable division for them in the West. So uh, now I, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I really like San Francisco at this point. <laughs> I think this, think of? Uh, this is San Francisco's division to lose at this point. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're better with the obvious exception of def- defensive tackle where Aaron Donald is still doing Aaron Donald things, leads the Rams with four sacks. Um, they're better at pr- almost, almost every position uh, across the board. There's a better football team than the Rams are right now. Yeah. So with Jimmy G back in the fold. So uh, kind of a little ironic there for the 49ers. Uh, but uh, yeah, 49ers in control in that division right now. So we'll see if the Rams can pick it up here in the next few weeks and keep that close. But we'll transition now, switch gears over into our decision making, uh, the portion where we look at decisions from the past week 
I'm going to start with a big one on Sunday Night Football because it's a surprise who it was from, who made the decision. It was Jan, uh, John Harbaugh, oh, sorry, fourth and one at the Cincinnati three, 9.46 to go in the game. Baltimore's up three, kicked the field goal after taking the delay of game. Uh, so they're up six now. How surprised were you at this call from Harbaugh doing the classic one-score game to one-score game? Oh, it was definitely weird, um, that's for sure. And I'm wondering how much this is, you know, the, the games they lost to the Dolphins and Bills both turned on failed fourth and goal at the one plays. Yep, um, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, and I'm wondering how much those failures were weighing on him here. Uh, it also helps that, you know, Cincinnati's offense was not doing much. Um, and he had, had confidence that his defense could play well, could play well against Cincinnati and, and stop them. I think that all plays into it. Um, but it, it's um, it worked out for him. And, uh, you know, nine, almost 10 minutes left in a game at that point. Um, even if, uh, you know, I, I, as you noted here, so even, even if Cincinnati scores, you're going to get the ball back with a chance to, to, to take the lead again. Um, so it, it was better safe than sorry. But I, I, I can't help but think that the prior feelings on fourth and goal in the, in the last two games were, were weighing on him. And uh, he decided to just take the points this time. Yeah, some of those guys like Harbaugh, too, you wouldn't always think think that, you know, he would uh, kind of switch up based on failures. He would stick with it. But, I mean, he's, he's human like all of us. So that that is a good point. And I would, would not uh, um, disagree with that at all. And it is surprising, too, looking at the numbers this year, John Harbaugh is only 20th in our CCI ranking, which is based on going for it when they should go for it. So how many t- correct times they go for it, how many times they have errors when they should have gone for it and they didn't, or they should not have gone for it and did, which isn't as common, but only 20th. And he's consistently, I think like top five, top 10 each year. Uh, he's still high up in the coach rankings because uh, Baltimore's performing well, their EPI ranking, which is how they've done on the field. They're still a very good team. So it keeps mm-hmm. them up overall, but to see him down in the bottom half of, of coaches is really surprising. And, uh, one thing that I was thinking maybe that was in his mind, uh, like you kind of, you said as well, Cincinnati scores the touchdown, which they did. He knows who his kicker is. It's Justin Tucker. If Cincinnati yep. scores and gets the extra point, they're only up one. All he has to do is get across midfield, basically, to get a realistic shot at winning the game. They ended up getting a lot closer. I think it was only a mid-40s yard field goal. Uh, yep. Justin Tucker just absolutely crushes those. It's, it's really, really hard to stop a mobile quarterback who only needs a field goal to beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Especially when that mobile quarterback's Lamar Jackson. Well, this specific this specific mobile quarterback is really really hard. That, that's true. The mobile quarterback should be easier. Um, yeah. But talk about knowing the strengths of your team, and I mentioned that those two fourth and one uh, failures. That's not the uh, exception to the rule here for Baltimore. They, they've been shockingly very bad in short yardage this year. Twenty mm-hmm. ninth on uh, power runs, which is just runs uh, with one or two yards to go. Uh, and then I just saw had had it open here. Uh, third and short DVOA. Uh, they're at 22nd. So surprising given the way their team is built. They're not a very good short yardage team, uh, and that probably played played into his decision as well. Absolutely. And uh, we'll move on to other decisions that I want to talk about. Both were similar situations. One is going all the way back to that Thursday night game, that ugly Thursday night game, one of the worst games <laughs> we've ever seen. Uh, and then Green Bay on Sunday. The first one, Denver. And I brought these up, too, on Monday in the recap show uh, with Mike. Now that we're talking about coaches and coach decisions and rankings, I want to bring it up again because Denver needed one yard in overtime at fourth and one at the Indy five. They're down three. Um, 
Russ, I commend the decision to go for it instead of taking the field goal playing for the tie, Uh, although in that type of game, uh, you might want to just take the tie instead of the loss. But Russ throws incomplete into the end zone to end the game. Now, they only got one yard on the third and two rush, so I'm not necessarily saying, you know, hey, if they go for it, they're going to get it. If they're going to run the ball, they have to run the ball. But you don't have to get into the end zone there. For me, look, watching that game, I feel like you call, call your best play, just pick up the first down, then you give yourself four shots at the end zone. Obviously, easier said than done. But when you're you've, in that type of game where they really haven't been able to – neither team's been able to do much, I look for them to go for the first down, give yourself four shots at the end zone uh, instead of going for it all into the end zone, throwing into the end zone, a very congested area. You're at the five-yard line. I was driving uh, at the end of this game, listening to the game on the radio, and when they had the fourth and one with the option to kick for the tie uh, or, or get the win uh, in, in overtime, at the top of my lungs, I was screaming, kick it, kick it, kick it. And of course they did not. And we saw how that worked out for them. It's been five games now. And the Broncos have dedicated themselves to screwing things up inside the red zone. It's their, it, it, it's their medium, the way an artist might use paint or clay. Uh, <laughs> they, they, been, it's been, uh, well, now 21 quarters, I believe of just making a mockery of, of easy scoring chances. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, their opponent on Thursday, are the second worst offense in the red zone with a DVOA of minus 48.5. Denver's the worst at minus 88.3. Almost twice as bad as the next worst offense. They are worst in red zone passing. They are worst in red zone rushing. They're somehow next to last to go to go. I'm not sure how that works, but there was... I know you never you you can break out this the spreadsheet. They'll say teams converts this often on fourth and short versus kicking the field on fourth and short. Denver's chance of picking up, uh, Denver's chance of catching a ball or running a ball and picking up a first down was zero percent. A couple other overall odds of five percent because the Colts are bad. Maybe they do a penalty. Maybe they get a hold right. or an offside or something. So maybe there's that. But I won't say zero. I won't say. Overall zero, but there's no way this offense was going to get it done on its own. There's no way. There was no way. There was no way. And they had a good play, and the receiver was open. And Russell Wilson, who just looks lost, I don't know what's going on with him, but he never looked that way. And he threw to a covered player, and they lost the game, and now he's got a torn lat. Oh, what a mess. But getting back to the specifics of this decision, not a, a hundred times out of a hundred, I would have kicked this field goal. Nathaniel Hackett probably uh, uh, is remembering back to when he got in trouble and got, got criticized for kicking the field goal and said, "If this was a 64-yard field goal, I would tell you something different." But they were they were at the five, right? Yeah, they were at the five-yard line. Yeah, at the five-yard line. Yes, and and, and, and yes, uh, and, and 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 he didn't know at the time how bad his offense was going to be in the red zone all yeah. year. Now we know. We have more information now. <sighs> so yeah, again, the time probably were is better for them. The situation as bad as they are. Um, but yeah, I still, if you're going to go for it in that situation, I lean towards getting the first down, or at least trying for the one yard for the first down instead of going straight to the end zone. Uh, Green Bay had a similar situation I want to cover as well. Third and one at the Giants' six. They're down seven, one eleven. So they have to go for it. They don't have a field goal option. But it's right. third down. A.J. Dillon's on the field. They don't give him the ball. Rodgers throws two straight passes on third and fourth down, batted down at the line of scrimmage. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, I saw on this one, only got 19 carries after averaging 26-plus in the first four weeks. I think A.J. Dillon only had like six. But he's your big bruiser back. 
I think if, if you're going to – you've got third and one, give the ball to Dylan. This could have been a lot of things I've seen. I don't. I haven't seen like a confirmation of it. I don't know if we'll ever get one. Um, but saying Rodgers checked out of a run to a pass based on what he saw us in that. But either way, whoever you are, LaFleur, Rodgers, I feel like you got to be smarter. Give the ball to Dylan. Let him just bulldoze forward for one yard. That's all you need. He might even score. And then again, like Denver, you get four shots at the end zone. I don't know whose decision it was, but I like the decision to just make sure you get the first down on third down and give yourself four shots instead of two on fourth down. Uh, let's see. The New York Giants defense ranks sixth and third and fourth and short DVOA. The Packers offense, uh, that's the wrong page. Uh, it, was, it was below average. I just had it in front of me. Uh, so that is a bad matchup. Um, but that, that, that includes all plays, runs, and passes, too. Right. Uh, so. Um, it doesn't really help us that much. Uh, you know, you have a running back named Quadzilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, trusting him in a couple of short power runs does not seem like the worst idea in the world to me. Um, on the other hand, you also have a two-time, at least two-time MVP, the two-time reigning MVP. I think yep. at least one more before that. Um, so trusting him is not a bad idea either. Honestly, the biggest problem is that they were that close to the end to begin with. Uh, yeah. Even if they had escaped with a win here, we, it would have been a bad win. Uh, and, and you know, a, a bad loss is much worse than a bad win. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but as far as what's going to happen down the future, if you're and I know the Giants have formed one, and they're way better than I thought they'd be, way better than I thought they would be. Uh, I don't think they're going to finish, you know, winning eighty percent of the games. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think they would necessarily be a playoff favorite right now. I think they've uh, they, they've been uh, beating some bad teams here, uh, and then beating one team we thought was going to be pretty good in Green Bay, and who still is pretty good uh, even with this loss, but. Anyway, um, yeah, you you gotta you gotta win these games in the first, second, and third quarter. Don't leave them on the line in the fourth quarter. Um, it's Daniel Jones, man. <laughs> he said, "I know he's he's not gonna have his best year. He was better as a passer last year. He's much better as a runner this year." Um, but you know, this is this is a vulnerable team, and uh, you had sixty minutes to win. Don't let it come down to the last play. Two disappointing games in a row for them. Get the, the overtime win against New England, and then yep. they came down in the last second, and this one against the Giants in London. A uh, lot, lot of improvement needed there in Green Bay. We'll switch from the worst decisions. We'll go to the best decisions. There really weren't a ton this week. Uh, there was one that I picked out um, that I did like. Speaking of Ron Rivera earlier, had a fourth and one at their own 20, down four against the Titans. Just under four minutes left in the game. Could have punted. Still had two timeouts, a two-minute warning. They did just force the Titans into punting the last two possessions, and four of their five second-half possessions resulted in punts. They got one touchdown. But he chose to go for it, and they converted. They did not end up winning the game, uh, but they converted this one to keep the drive alive, I believe. But I mentioned they forced Tennessee to punt, but Tennessee also converted a fourth and two on the first punt drive, uh, or the two drives before that. They converted, ended up punting, but I think Rivera had to believe Rabel was going to go for it again. Tennessee could run out the clock if they got that situation. Uh, so choosing to to give himself a chance to keep the ball in their hands instead of, like we talk about all the time, punting away and never getting the ball back. So this was a really good decision, I think, from Ron Rivera. It ended up being our third, I think our second or third best fourth down decision of the week. A uh, guy who's got the nickname Riverboat Ron, who hasn't really lived yeah. up to it the last few years. He's been a little bit more conservative by our numbers. But really being aggressive in this one. Didn't win, but made a good choice, giving them the best chance to win there towards the end of that game. I'm sure there were some people who criticized this call, but we've come so far in this, it seems like a no-brainer to me. When you're already down four, 
Uh, you're still at your own 20, so even if you punt, Tennessee's going to get the ball in good field position. Uh, the mo- if you punt, the most likely scenario is that Tennessee gets a field goal to go up by seven, and you have barely any time left to try to get a tying touchdown. Like, punting there is a terrible situation to be in. Um, and it's only one yard. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it seems obvious um, to me. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, – maybe, and I guess if it hadn't worked, you know, as I would say, no one ever praises coaches for succeeding on a fourth and one. They only criticize them for feeling on a fourth and one. But, um, anyway, yeah, uh, it, it's a call I would have made. It, 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 it seems obvious to me. And, uh, um, uh, like I say, when Riverboat Ron was, was one of the, the, the leaders of this, and they, it's probably easy to go for it on fourth and one when you have a prime Cam Newton. <laughs> say, just go run over some poor safety and get me three feet. <laughs> that probably helps a lot. Um, and he has not – I don't think he's been as aggressive in, in past years, so it, it, it's good to see him coming back. Yeah, I mentioned it was ended up being the third best decision of the week. It was an eight point two percent increase in win probability. So really good, really good decision there from uh, from Riverboat Rom. We'll give him that name back at least for this week. <laughs> so we'll move on to our last uh, last topic of discussion for today. It's the big matchup. Uh, got game of the year expectations in Kansas City uh, once again between the Bills and the Chiefs. We know the Bills won it pretty big in the regular season last year. We know what happened in the, uh, the the playoffs last year, the 13 seconds where Kansas City was able to force overtime and win that game. What are you looking for from each side in this strategy-wise, coaching-wise, or just in terms of general excitement about this game? Well, it feels like a playoff preview, that's for sure. Um, it, it, it almost feels like we can just fast forward to the AFC playoffs now. We, we pretty much know, uh, with apologies to some of these other AFC uh, uh, frontrunners like Jacksonville and the Chargers and even the Browns, the Bengals are still alive, but it still feels like what's going to happen in the playoffs is Kansas City is going to play Baltimore, and the winner of that is going to play Buffalo for a trip to the Super Bowl. We can just skip ahead of January. <laughs> we can just get that out of the way. Um, so this definitely feels like a playoff preview kind of game. Uh, it's it's two great offenses. It's one great defense, that being Buffalo. Um, you know, the the Buffalo offense obviously has the edge over the Kansas City defense. Uh, especially in the second half where they're second in DPOA, the Chiefs are 28th. Uh, third downs, the Bills are first, the Chiefs are 23rd. The, the one, the, the, the biggest uh, edge that Kansas City has in this game defensively is that the Bills still rank 30th in rushing offense DPOA, and that includes Josh Allen's scrambles. So right. uh, they're not getting anything from the running backs. Kansas City's defense is better against the run, 8th overall, uh, than they are against the pass, 19th. So basically – what Kansas City needs to do is play every snap like it's third and ten. <laughs> they need to focus on stopping the pass. If Buffalo hands off and runs for six yards, that's a win for the Chiefs. <laughs> that, that, that's a better option than whatever Josh Allen might do to them through the air or, or with his feet for that matter. So uh, the Chiefs play a lot of nickel and dime anyway. They're, they're a smaller defense. But uh, they need to do everything they can to encourage the run. <laughs> they need the Bills to run for like 100 yards because that means Josh Allen's not passing. Um, and that's the way they need to go about it. Uh, Kansas City offense versus Buffalo defense, it's much more even. They're both in the top three in DVOA. Uh, Buffalo has an edge on early downs, but Kansas City has a big edge on third downs where they rank third and the Bills are 22nd. Uh, and even bigger on third and long where they rank second and the Bills are 27th. And you know, being the best in a bad situation does not mean you should seek out being in that bad situation. I'm not saying the Chiefs should like take a sack on first down on purpose or anything, 
but it does show you that Patrick Mahomes can do miracles on third on third downs, and uh, the Bills have been vulnerable to miracle plays. So that sounds like it's going to be very very exciting. And looking for more holes in this, in this Bills defense, it's not against the run. They're first in adjusted line yards. They're first in stuff rate. Uh, fourth and second level yards, second open field yards. They have no weaknesses against the run. So Kansas City, Kansas City needs to encourage the pass on both sides of the ball. And uh, here's the biggest problem for them. When you look at their receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, they're basically receiver 1A and 1B. They don't really have a wide receiver too, uh, with uh, McCole Hardman being the third receiver. And of course, the, their, their top receiver is their tight end, Travis Kelsey, which is great against most teams. And you look at these, but you look at these bills, uh they're about average or, or they're above average but not dominant in uh coverage against wide receiver ones wide receiver twos and other wide receivers but they're the best defense in the league against tight ends <laughs> that, yeah. that's a problem for kansas city matt milano is probably the nfl's best linebacker in coverage doesn't get a lot of credit for that because people want linebackers to make tackles and make sacks uh, and, and he's not that kind of player but in past coverage he, he's about as good as he's going to get so uh, should be an exciting game, should be a playoff preview, could be a, the game of the first team to 40 wins, but it does feel like the Bills have the edge. Yeah, and you mentioned being good against tight ends I saw this morning. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but on uh, Good Morning Football, they were talking about Travis Kelsey in his last four games against the Bills has been very good, like 32 catches, 380-something, like a, forget, a ton of yards, touch, uh, a handful of touchdowns. So big tests for him, uh, as well as Buffalo, they're very good against tight ends, but most tight ends aren't Travis Kelsey, so a big test there for I'm, those guys I'm, that you just mentioned. I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. Uh, you know, the, the Bills are much better against tight ends than they've been this year. The Bills probably came in this year realizing that the Chiefs and Ravens were their top competitors in the conference. Well, who are the best receivers on both those teams? It's the tight ends. Mark <laughs> so they probably made a concerted effort. We need to be better against tight ends this year if we're going to win in the playoffs. Yeah, and the, and the Bills, too, getting some guys back. Uh, as well, Gabe Davis looked fully healthy last week, coming back off that ankle injury, finally logged full practices, had the 98-62 yard touchdown. Uh, yep. Isaiah McKenzie, I saw today, cleared concussion protocol, full participant practice. So they're getting some guys back. Tredavious White, I think it's at practice. I don't know if he's expected to to be back and play, but they're getting him back. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely getting some pieces healthy on offense. They're a top three, def- top three defense, and they have not had their best corner play a single snap this year. Yeah, that's, that's dangerous for the rest of the NFL. <laughs> that's very scary. Yeah, so that a big one, again, it's Sunday afternoon. I think it's a 425 game, so really looking forward to that one uh, between the Chiefs and the Bills. Again, potential AFC Championship preview. So that'll do it for this week's edition of our Coach Rankings. Before we go, though, don't forget you can get that $300 from Underdog Fantasy using promo code OUTSIDERS. Uh, they'll match your deposit up to $100. Again, using promo code OUTSIDERS. Also, don't forget to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. You get NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats and articles. You get an ad-free experience. You also get access to all of our data, not only the premium stats you can't get without the FO Plus subscription, but you get access to even the free data a day early every week on Monday. Well, everyone else has to wait till Tuesday, so give you a leg up on the competition if you utilize that data. And last but certainly not least, join us on the Football Outsiders Discord for in-game conversation for every game, beginning this Thursday with the only game that could possibly be worse than the worst <laughs> last Thursday's game between Washington and Chicago. So a real exciting one to start the, the week. Vince, thank you for joining me as always. And everyone out there, thanks for watching. Adios. Adios.